challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country with a pedal to the metal with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the live audience as well as the audience listening around the world. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you also to everyone in chat. We really appreciate you joining us. There's some good folks in there already. So you're in luck if you if you jump into chat. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we are going to rock and roll here real quick. Um, one, I want to uh, say congratulations to Chris Cahalan and the Cahalan family. They made a successful lobbying trip to Washington, D.C. Chris is, of course, as you know, fighting uh, pancreas cancer. And uh, so there's very, very little money for pancreas cancer research. So he and his family, as sick as he is, he and his family, the whole family, kids and everything, aunt and uncle, uh, or aunts uh, came, and I think his mom came out to D.C. and did a real good job uh, fighting for all of our uh, all of our stuff, all of our, you know, there but for the grace of God go go I and us. And so, you know, pancreas cancer is just such a tough cancer. The reason why is because your pancreas is so far inside your body, very difficult. And by the time you have symptoms, it's usually metastasized to your liver and other places. That's why the uh, morbidity rate is so high. Uh, all that said to say this, congratulations. What a what a patriot. What a what a fighter. And and I'll tell you what. You know what a guy. What a great guy. Um, and a quick shout out to my brother Lance and his wife of 40 years, Lynette. Uh, you know their their 40th anniversary is today. And uh, so congratulations to them. I sure do love them. Wonderful people. And then on top of that, uh, I ask for your prayers for my brother Lance, as you know, uh, last year, uh, from September to uh, December, he was essentially in intensive care. And and then at one point, uh, for quite some time, he was on life support. And we were told that him to live. And he did. And on Wednesday, uh, he came home right before Christmas. And on Wednesday, he uh, he's going to have a big surgery, uh, entire hip replacement. He has one hip replacement, got to have the other one done. And then if, you know, gets through that okay, then at some point in the very near future, he's going to have his knees done. Um, but, you know, as you know, anytime you're that sick and you have that much damage to your organs, uh, surgery is a real delicate thing. So just ask for all across the country, the folks that listen. We have people listening right now in Alaska. Uh, how you doing? Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we got a husband and wife from upstate New York, Jerry from Pennsylvania. We've got a lot of places represented, and it's very, very nice to have you. So just a quick background, I don't know those of you who follow me on Facebook, I did a Facebook Live video today explaining this, but I'll do a real brief thing because I want to get through this message, uh, you know, all of it today. By the way, thank you very much to those 
uh, and actually one of them is in chat right now, who wrote me the nicest note, encouraging note after last week's message, and they said that that, that was uh, particularly helpful to them, and I really appreciate that. That makes a big difference, I'll tell you. It really, really does. Um, this week, uh, someone had said uh, that, uh, had sent a message that um, they thought that because I click like on so many women's uh, posts and they'll change their uh, profile picture and I'll click on like and all that different stuff that I'm flirting with them. And, and obviously those women are going to think that I'm after them. Any reasonable person would think you're after them. And uh, one of those people, they cited a couple of people. Uh, I'm not after you, Darren. I do click on your profile picture when you change it. And I, sometimes, sometimes I'll do a heart even. I'll do a heart even because I do love you all, but not in that way. So anyway, what ended up happening is this person was really convinced of that, that, you know, yeah, there's, you know, named a few people. And um, one of them, I can say, is my friend since, I don't know, since I was in Sunday school. Uh, she's a few years younger than me, but I was the same age as her twin brother and sister. They're twins. Her brother and sister, she's not twins with them. They're twins. She was the youngest, the littlest. And hello to our guests, by the way, in chat as well. So anyway, the point is, is that we've been friends for so long, and she was so sweet to, uh, after my crash, she was one of the people that brought food. And, and I can tell you that my family never was more happy that I was in that crash than when we were eating her roast and her brownies. The girl can cook, and I knew she grew up cooking really good food. So that was real sweet. She came, very busy, very hard-working person, works a lot of hours. And so when she clicked something on Facebook, I always like to click like. And, uh, and you know, I have a public, you know, it's nothing you can't see about me. It's all public. So everybody, everybody, my family, if my mother had the Internet, she could see it. She wouldn't like it, but she could see it. And um, she wouldn't like Facebook. But uh, anyway, the point is, is that uh, she, uh, this person identifies as a female and said, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, but she said that, you know, obviously that person, and it named another person who I actually went to high school with, who lives in Florida, and said, you know, you're all, you got to think about them. They're, I'm sure they're sitting there thinking that you got to think for them. I vigorously debated that. I said, no, 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 that's not, no, nobody would. I, you know, look at all the women. Well, almost 80% of, of my friends and followers on Facebook happen to be females. Now, you know, uh, the majority of them are great patriots. They really are. Or they're doing some great things, and, and I always like to encourage that. I really, really do. Now, in fairness, uh, when you have 5,000 friends and followers and all that stuff, you don't see but about less than 1%. I looked it up this afternoon. Less than 1% of the posts. You know, I typically don't, don't see that. And so I feel bad about that. I feel like, well, I want to be more encouraging to people. Um, the point is, is, is that uh, I was so disturbed by that. I was upset by it. And I said, well, let me just see. Maybe I'm misunderstanding. This. You know, I don't understand Facebook uh, etiquette any more than what people have just told me over the years. Uh, and so I, I put a post out. And if you're on my Facebook, my Facebook is public. So if you if you don't want to be, you can't be a friend on Facebook because I have 5,000 friends, but you can follow, click on follow, and you can see the post. If you click on follow, you can see all the posts. And you'll see the post uh, on there where I ask, hey, ladies that are, happen to be friends of mine on Facebook, here's, I'm putting this out to you. And if you could just tell me, because I'd never want to be that. I have uh, one friend, in fact, who is in Duke University 
right now, uh, and she has multiple myeloma. You guys know that so many of my friends, I just lost one of my dear friends since kindergarten to multiple myeloma. And our, our great friend, Don, which we need to pray for Don because he hurt himself at work, uh, pretty serious injury, he had to be rushed to the hospital, and he's, he's uh, home convalescing right now. It's going to be a, several months. So, uh, yeah, we're very, very upset about that. But so, and he has that. Well, my one friend on Facebook, who I met on Facebook, I didn't know her prior to that, great Christian woman, a great patriot, really smart person. Anything she posts, I click like. She puts a picture, I click like. Uh, and when she's in the battle, uh, she's in a real tough battle now. This is it. I mean, they've told her there's there's nothing more that we can do. It's called kitchen sink chemo. And so it's it's awful. It's really awful. And so she she's getting this kitchen sink chemo. She's had a stem cell rescuer. Most people know it as a bone marrow transplant. And I mean, she she posts stuff that's so encouraging to everybody else. And she describes what's going on. And she tells and she, she must be a scientist in her job because she's very intelligent. And, and, and you read her post, you think, wow, um, Christine Steele Gates is her name really amazing person, very inspiring. And so I make a point. I say, you know, I'm going to encourage her. And I always try to type in encouraging things and, or at least hit the like or the heart or whatever or the wow button. Sometimes she says stuff blows my mind. Um, she walked three miles. She was only allowed to walk uh, on the, ins the outside corridor of the ward she was in. And she figured out how far three miles was because that was her goal. And she's in this onslaught of chemo you know we're talking weeks in and she's walking three miles you know talking to people saying hello all this stuff just a total other focus so you know th so that's an example there's there's other examples but the point of all it is is it really upset me and i don't know why it did and this message that i'm going to deliver in just a minute is a product of that experience because i was really blown over because i knew what the intent of my heart was i knew who i was and i knew that I would never intend to do, you know, and I, and if, if that's social media etiquette, that, oh, well, you click on like for somebody, everything they do, if they're a woman and you're a man, hey, you know, you're you're cheating on her. You're, you're cheating with her. You're wanting to cheat with her. You're wanting her to think you're after her, whatever. And and uh, I just said, man, I don't know where that's coming from. But I, I came to the point where I realized that that person uh, who identifies as a female is um, is – hurting something from her childhood something from her something something has hurt her along the way but she's never gotten through that hurt and sometimes that's you know a really tough thing and it's a super tough thing and you don't heal for, from it right away and you know what as i always talk about both in the counseling practice and in, in my ministry is a lot of people are walking around with a whole lot of shrapnel man they got a lot of shrapnel and if you don't get that shrapnel out and debride that wound and and, and get rid of the infection, you get real, real sick, and it's just going to grind deeper and deeper and deeper. So that's my prayer for this particular person, and I, and I hope that uh, I hope that maybe if she was trolling my Facebook, uh, that um, you know she she would find relief in that. That that would be make her think. Some of the people that posted put the most amazing things. I mean, they you know they really they weren't mean. You know, I asked for, you know, serious stuff only and nothing mean. And they weren't mean. They were very, very nice. And, and not just nice for me, but, you know, some people said, hey, you know, she needs a hobby if she thinks that. Um, but or maybe a little bit self-centered, 
a little bit self-absorbed going on, which I guess I can be accused of that. So this sermon, I, I, you know, as you guys know, it's always easier to preach a series, to write a series, a sermon series, and then preach that. Uh, of course, Austin, if he's listening, you know, he was behind the Revelation. Remember the Revelation one that I did on, uh, there was a book that was written that talked about the the coincidence, air quotes, of American policy or Israeli policy that was against the Bible, what happened weather-wise or war-wise or any, any of these things. Anytime they did something that was against what God commanded, Hashem commanded for Israel, you know, this bad thing. So I did that big, long series, and I, it was the hardest and the easiest series I'd ever done because some weeks I was three weeks ahead. It was wonderful, you know, that relief of, hey, and this in seminary, this is what they teach you to do. Your great professors say, hey, you know, make it a little bit easier on yourself, less pressure, need to come up with something original every week write a series and so that's what they teach and and uh but but the past few weeks i don't know if you've noticed i've i've not that i'm testing god i'm more testing myself because i'm a deeply flawed person obviously um there's a lot of amens in the house but they didn't come out of their mouth but i could see it on their face um but you know uh, but i wanted to i wanted to trust god if if you will that he would provide to me inspiration or something relevant or beneficial to people to hear because that's the last thing I want to do is waste people's time you know I don't want to do that nobody wants that people are busy so um, I wondered if I had a clear idea of myself you know it's one of two things are you worried more about what other people think of you or are you more worried about what you think of you and you know what I always thought you know when I was a kid uh, and there are some uh, some of my high school chums and actually people I went to school with some from kindergarten on and some from junior high and, and high school on and, and they're they've told me they were going to listen tonight and so uh it's it's interesting because i had no self-concept and i don't know about we'll just take a quick poll here how many of you in here when you were going to high school really understood yourself you understood who you appear to be to other people no there's a bunch of shaking heads everybody's going no i didn't well i have to tell you i had no self i had no self-image i had no self-concept in high school and then 13 days from high school, I was in boot camp, uh, Navy boot camp, and Orlando, Florida, you know, good and hot in the summer. <clears throat> and there I learned, we don't care about your self-concept. We care about the concept of the needs of the United States Navy and your shipmates. That's what we care about. And so that was a very beneficial thing for me because what I realized was it was stupid for me to worry about. Well, I wonder how I was perceived because – you know how it is. You meet high school people. They weren't really close. One in particular I had a nice conversation with. I didn't have a close relationship with them. I didn't really know. I knew them, but never hung out. We never did. And this person uh, sends me the nicest note and says, oh, you you know, you were a great guy in high school. You know, you were nice and encouraging and funny and, uh, you know, good athlete, all these different things. Um, <laughs> I'm sure my mom would have preferred that they started with good student, but, you know, I wasn't a horrible student. I was just, I wasn't as into it as I should have been. I learned later the importance of that. So my point is, is, you know, sometimes we think it's what others, the natural assumption would be is we care more about what others think of us. But I had an epiphany this week, and that's the part that I wanted to share with you um, and, and what I've uh, concluded. So let me let me just share this these verses with you. Uh, it's Yochanan, if you're in the complete Jewish Bible, or John. Uh, 119, starting at 119, going through 23. Here is Yochanan's testimony. Now, Yochanan is John and Yochanan are not the same name, but we picked we picked names. You know, we picked names. We said, okay, we can't say Yochanan, so we're gonna 
you know, just say John. It's faster. It's easier. Uh, but Yochanan, here is Yochanan's testimony. When the Judeans sent Kohanim and Levim from Yerushalayim, which is Jerusalem, to ask him, who are you? Now remember, this is he's talking about John the Baptist, the Yochanan, the baptizer. Uh, who are you? And John uh, 120 in the complete he was very straightforward and stated clearly, I am not the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? He started not with who he is, but who he isn't. Some of us, and it occurred to me, it was, it was literally an epiphany late yesterday, because I literally had nothing typed out. I didn't even have an idea at that point. And so uh, I was trying to be trusting and, you know, come on, Lord, I need some help here. Uh, and and what's interesting, too, is is the better sermon happens when you hand God the pen. And so I learned that last night. Nerve-wracking, but I learned it. The point of all this is, is the epiphany that I had was, no, my my thoughts of I care more about what other people think of me aren't true. That's not true. That's not true. If we peel back the layers of the onion a little bit, yes, at first blush, it seems like I care more about what somebody thinks of me. How many, let's stop here for a second. How many in the live audience, uh, and I guess the people in chat, you could you know raise your hand or whatever. How many of the people in the live audience could give a rat's behind, really and truly, what other people think of them? Anybody? Yeah, well, I, I knew. That's what kind of crowd we have here. Uh, a lot of hands went up. I knew your hand would go up, of course. <clears throat> uh, but really and truly, I'm, I'm not that guy. I do care. I do. I'm, I'm affected by what other people. Now, even when I know that they're completely and utterly wrong, this person that uh, stipulated that what, what they thought, the liking, me clicking on all these women's likes and and the other one was profile picture when they change their profile picture. Oh, you click on like that means you're flirting. They want you to, you, you want them to think you're into them, and they're going to think that, and or they're going to think, oh, stalker. So, <clears throat> anyhow, like and share. You know, it's Facebook. That's that's what the buttons say. So um, anyway, so so what happened is, is is I realized, you know, I do care what other people think of me. And and if they're egregiously incorrect, like a lot of times people can think something of you that's just so completely wrong. Like this person that got a hold of me as part of this uh, post, they sent me a they posted and then they sent me a private message, which was very encouraging, and said, you know, don't you realize what people thought of you, what most people thought of you in high school? And I'm like, no, I really didn't. I just thought they thought I was a country bumpkin from Sussex County, uh, didn't know no better, you know, and uh, that's all I thought. And then they listed off the different things and. And I was really touched by it. And then they reminded me of a time that I helped them. I didn't even remember it. Now, I have a brain injury, so I don't remember this morning. So, But the point of that is, is you know, I was totally wrong. But then other people, I bumped into other people. When, when my buddy Eric was sick, he's going on to his reward now, but visited him in, uh, at, at, a, at one of the hospitals where he was staying, where he was staying like he was there, you know, renting a room. Uh, he was actually in intensive care there. And when I was there visiting him, I bumped into a classmate. And that classmate, said, was one year behind me, said, I really thought you're super nice now, but I really thought you were a snob. And I'm like, let's see, let's count the things here. I was poor. I bought my own clothes. Once I got a job, I had to buy my own clothes. If I wanted to go join a sport, I had to find my way to the school and from the school, you know. That's just how it was. My parents both worked and, you know, all that stuff. And and I was – we heated our house with wood. We didn't have regular heat. 
This was an old 150-year-old country house. Didn't have insulation. Had single-pane windows that rattled in the wind and the snow. You know, I, I had nothing. You know, I worked hard, and parents worked hard, and we just we didn't have anything. But this person viewed me as kind of stuck up. I know this can be hard for you to believe, but I was actually a little bit quiet at times in high school. When I was asleep, obviously, which was never during class. I just want to clear that up. But, uh, yeah, then there was a car crash. Uh, so, but there were periods where I was a very quiet person. I just didn't speak. I more observed. And so this person took that as uh, that, I, that I was just kind of stuck up or thought higher of myself. So, so let's cross this. Sometimes we have to figure out what we aren't, who we aren't. Sometimes that list is easier to start by who we're not. You know, I don't know exactly who I am, but I can tell you who I'm not. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. And I never, uh, my whole life of reading the Bible, I never, <laughs> Alaska says, I believe it's none of my business what other people think of me. I love that. Man, that's perfect. I'm stealing that. And then he said, darn, I'm out of rats behinds. <laughs> I said I don't give a rat's butt. Hey, see that? That's what Alaska will do to you. It makes you smart. So he says, uh, you know, he stated clearly, straightforward and clear. Yochanan, the, the baptizer, said, I am not the Messiah. Then who are you? Right? That's the next question. Anybody's going to ask that. Well, who are you? You know, and, and I, I watch a lot of interviews. Now I have this radio show. You know, I never was an interviewer. I got interviewed a lot when I wrote my book and did the book tour, but Prior to that, not a whole lot. And uh, I have to say, it's funny because uh, you'd have different different people interview you, uh, be live on the radio or television. They'd say, now, who is the ninja pastor? You know, who are you? And it's a hard question to answer. But I learned after a while, you know, you've got to, you've got to, you better write something down and memorize that. Figure it out what you're going to tell folks because, you know, you can't sit there and have dead air on television or radio. Anyway. So then who are you, they asked him. Are you Eliyahu, Elijah? No, I am not, he said. Are you the prophet, the one who we're expecting? That's Jesus. You know him as Jesus or, or Yeshua. Uh, no, he replied. Now look, the key here to realize is he knew who he was and whose he was and why, without a doubt. He knew that the one would come, Jesus, the one that would come, was the point behind all of this. And, you know, I'm going to tell you, the dude walked around in animal skins and ate locusts and honey and was screaming in the wilderness. You know, they thought he was crazy, right? We know who you are. You're crazy. You know, that's what people probably thought under their breath because you don't say a lot of out loud stuff like that to people that look like that. You think they might, you know, cut you, shank you. So they said to him, who are you? So that we can give an answer to the people who sent us. Well, isn't that smug? What do you have to say about yourself? Man, that struck me. That struck me. What would I say about myself if I had to tell somebody? And maybe my life, which as we all know, I'll, I'll talk later what happened to him, but isn't that an important question? What do you have to say about yourself? Right? You're a motorcyclist and a welder. You're a retired teacher. Uh, you know, you're a smart lady that, that's a patriot, and you write to your Congress people, and you fight for liberty and freedom. You're a, a HVAC slash car slash motorcycle slash truck guy. You're a runner, right? You're a person who works very, very hard. You're uh, retired. I don't, I don't even want to say this word, math 
Or were you a math teacher? You weren't a math teacher. You're so nice. You both were math teachers? Yeah. Man, there's something wrong with this. Two, two choices. Well, I bet I would have been better at math if I had both of you. You would have been frustrated with me. You just slammed your fist down on things. I was very frustrating. I th oh, really? Oh, well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I wish I was going back to school now, but they're both retired. So the, so the question is, we, we can sum up people, right? You're a business owner. You have a small business and a, and a regular business, and, uh, and you help people, you know. Um, most people, you know, you look around the room, especially people you know well, you could pretty much sum up. If somebody were to say, what do you have to say about Wes? What do you have to say about Darren? What do you have to say about Gloria, Charlotte, whatever, uh, you know, whatever. What do you have to say about them? I could rattle on and on, you know, especially since I've been knowing you all for, for all this time. But the point is, uh, Jerry from Pennsylvania says, I have your resume. He actually does have my resume. We did some did some business together in the executive protection. Hey, Linda, I was just talking about your family. Thank you for joining us. I hope you hope you joined in time to hear that. So, so, but the point is, is, is a lot of times from an earthly standpoint, from the standpoint of um, the natural, we'll say, man, you know, we kind of know who we are in that way, what people think of us that way, but they're most often wrong. What do you have to say about yourself? He's asking Yochanan the Baptist. He answered in the words of Yeshua, the prophet, I am the voice of someone crying out in the desert. Make the way of Adonai straight. In other words, look, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm the guy who is warning you about who's coming. I'm the guy who's giving you the information about who's coming. And that person that's coming is a big deal, the biggest deal. So see, I've, I've come to this different conclusion that I really would like to share with you tonight. And that conclusion, and I concluded this at some point yesterday evening, I concluded that we care less about what other people may think of us than what we even think of ourselves. We are more devastated by what by what we think of ourselves than we are about what others think of us, in complete opposite of what I had thought my whole life. It has been said, we are each one hanging up pictures in the chambers of our own souls, which we shall have to look at when we sit in the shadows. And that is profound. Now, remember I said John the Baptist in, in, in Hebrew, his name is Yochanan. Uh, he, he had an interest in this question, who are you? That, that interest that was in this question, who are you, uh, it wasn't from the great respect of the questioners. He knew they were putzes. Uh, but they voiced a common question, which is any reasonable person might ask, and which was echoed in his own heart. And our interest is not that we're especially like Yochanan. Our interest uh, is that Yochanan is more like us. It's not that we're more like him. Most people don't have the bravery, the courage the commitment to go out and, and yell, you know, repent, repent, all these different things. You know, we're Christians uh, have been morphed into this, um, I don't know, uh, pacifistic sort of way of living. Someone just posted on my feed, you know, uh, well, if you're a Christian, why do you want to kill terrorists? Why do you want to kill Muslims? I don't want to kill all Muslims, uh, but the ones that are trying to kill me, I definitely want to kill them. And I would be happy to do it uh, because we're to defend. What about love thy neighbor? What about love thy enemy? What about that? 
And that person is severely misconstruing Scripture because if you read it in the Hebrew and you read in the context of what was happening when those things were said, you realize that no, not at all. This is this is not an accurate rendering to say that we're to lay down, you know, to turn the other cheek. That had a whole other meaning to that. That was much more intense and, and much deeper. So rather that we're not especially like Yochanan or John the Baptist, but that Yochanan is like us all. Uh, what am I in the light of what has been done for me now? I call this my heart's photo gallery. You know, when I'm when I'm thinking, you know, those points where you're just about to fall asleep and your mind starts going to memories, or in the case of me, a lot of times, what I need to do, did I remember to lock this? You know, there's a thousand things, you know, your head goes to and drives you crazy. Uh, I don't know about you. That might be just me. So you're thinking of all that stuff as you're laying down to help fall asleep. Well, sometimes a photo gallery happens in my head. It's a beautiful thing. It's like a slideshow. And in that slideshow, um, my photo gallery really is uh, of my down-home and uh, Sussex County childhood. You know, I really look back on that time, and, and I have a lot of fondness. For, and it wasn't easy. You know, my childhood was by no means easy, lest you think. Uh, but it was beautiful. It was interesting, you know. I, I thought of the ocean and the bays and the streams and the creeks and the fields. Man, all stuff I loved. All stuff I loved. And I am, and I realize this, I am what I am in view of what my father and my mother did for my childhood. You know, my mom and my dad, you know, they they, they were hardworking people, real hardworking people. And uh, they didn't have a, time, a lot of time for a lot of foolishness. My mother raised, my dad worked far away from the home for most of my life. And so my mother raised four boys and a girl, uh, for the most part, on her own. And so uh, for a big part, uh, you know, of my childhood anyway. And so, but my father and my mother made a lot of sacrifices. They did a lot of things for me that as I'm, as I'm aging, uh, it was actually what town in Sussex, uh, Craig, it was Love Creek. I was from Love Creek down Route 24, which is now John J. Williams Highway. Um, but, but I realized, you know, I looked around, I used to play in the fields all the time, in the woods. Um, the stuff I used to do would just disturb you as a, as a parent nowadays, you know, you'd be like, how did you even survive? You know, but I did. I mean, that's where I learned adventure, you know, in the woods and in the fields and, and um, you know, in the water. I mean, that's just, I wanted to see if I could do stuff. So the boat would be going as fast as it could go, and I'd jump out. You know, my friends had boats, and I'd jump out to see how I would do it. That came into play a little bit later in my life, didn't it? That was a handy little lesson. Um, but, but I am by my mother and father, but not just by the sacrifices that they made, um, but in view of, and it's funny, we just talked about teachers, in view of what some early teachers, some good, and I had some really good teachers, and I had some really bad teachers. Unfortunately, the bad teacher, uh, one of them that really, really turned me off of math was a math teacher. Um, and, and so I had some good ones and some not so good, and uh, uh, I had a few, I didn't think of myself as a very popular person. I didn't have the latest clothes, I didn't have any of that stuff, I didn't have any of that stuff. I mean, I was just a regular dude. Um, that wasn't very trendy, uh, and but I but I had a few but very great friends. Uh, one of my friends, always a brother, uh, my buddy Chuck Backus. We've been friends since junior high, and we didn't start off so friendly. He was really my my brother's friend, and uh, but then we connected. The boy taught me how to play baseball. Literally, he taught me how to play baseball. Um, he's taught me so much. He taught me how to work really hard. He taught me, you know, we worked at a lot of the same places and I would see how hard he worked and nobody had to tell him to work so hard. I was like, man, 
you know, that's the way you do it, you know. That's the way you do it. So and, and other things too. So always a brother there. And other great friends, you know. And I and I think the point is I don't stand alone. In my life as a grown man now, I don't stand alone. Or allegedly grown man. Uh I don't stand alone. And and, and if I seem to like Yokanon, just come out of the desert. All of a sudden I come out of the desert. Like I just appear, like I just showed up. God put me here and I'm as I am now. Well that's that's not the truth. The truth is, is I stand in the midst of good company of wise and hardworking family and friends among whom I grew up. And, and really, I'm not wealthy financially, but I'm wealthy with devout traditions. Some of my friends, they're really serious about some of the things they do, and that rubbed off on me. And honorable principles. principles. And so I have all those people to thank for it. And to ignore that and to ignore all those people is really to fail to know who I really am. right? Because people don't invest in you unless they see value. Uh, I've had a lot of people, Jerry uh, from Pennsylvania, he's sewn into my life. Uh, Larry and Dee Brock uh, sewed into my life very early on. Many, many people uh, sewed into my life, at, at very, and, I, and I, I never really understood why at the time. So if somebody's going to sew into your life, they're going to invest in your life and who you are, let me think back I mean, as you go, um, you will probably think of some people. Uh, you will probably, oh, let me give you an example. My, my friend Paul and uh, Craig, I won't tell the story, but Paul now tells the story of when he really learned the right way to be from Craig. And it's a beautiful story, and to hear Paul tell the story is amazing. It's touching. I wish Craig could have heard that, him render that story of how much he cared for him and honored him. Uh, even at a point where Paul wasn't at his best, let's just say, uh, but it rubbed off on him, you know. So it has this impact. And I thought about that and Facebook and me and social media. I thought, you know, I'm I'm trying to do some good here, and uh, and and then just when I think, you know, I'm wasting my time and wasting everybody else's time, people send me these lovely messages, encouraging messages. So to fail those people who help us to be who we are, really, we fail. We we don't honor our past, our history, and it's it's a rich history. Um, and, and it occurred to me, I'm really a child of my age and my time, you know, the age in which I was born. You can't control that, right? And and the times, the times, you know, that that was a big thing. I am what the time has made of me and, and what I have made of my time. You know, I look back on, I'm hard on my math teachers, but let me just say, you know, I probably wasn't the best student because you know what I did? And I tell my kids this, don't ever let a teacher that is not kind to you and or is maybe confusing or what don't ever let any or you don't particularly like don't let them rob you of your education never allow that and uh now you know i have a a, a different philosophy you know i i charge hard after it if they if i think they're an obstacle i i want to prove to them i'll be a straight a student you're not going to get me you know but i didn't have that when i was a kid so it's what time has made of me and what i've made of my time it's it's thought that has come into my mind um, about the different people that sewed into me and that I treated properly and honored them. And then also the flip side of that, the sympathy, uh, the feeling bad for looking back and somebody sewed into my life and I didn't see it at the time and I didn't honor them properly. And, uh, you know, before I die, I want to make sure that, that I honor them properly. I am in the presence of the demands of my time. I'm not so presumptuous as to ignore these demands. Look, everybody's busy. Everybody's, you know, you got demands. Um, and I'm not so presumptuous to ignore the noble company of living people who are alive today 
who invited me to join them and the good missions of life and, and uh, hard work. And, it, and it, look, it didn't even matter how important the work was. It mattered. What mattered was is they said, hey, work with me. And they showed me how to do things, and they, they listened to what I was saying, and then, then they put things in a way that I could understand to help me. Important or unimportant work. I've done some important things. I've done some highly unimportant things. Um, after all, the question, uh, what I am or what am I, who am I, it amounts really to the question of what can I do? What can I be? You know, and God changes everything. I mean, it really is extraordinary. Uh, a person that uh, comes from very humble beginnings and, you know, people far greater than me, far worse conditions in their childhood and, uh, you know, great poverty and lack and of all these things. And they, you know, and they've done such amazing things. It's just extraordinary. Um, and I would answer humbly, but true humility is not thinking meanly of oneself. And I thought of this last night. Uh, it really struck me. And I'm not sure if, I'm really not sure if anybody, and you'll get, you'll amen on this one. I'm not sure if anybody could think more meanly of themselves than me. I don't think anybody could be harder on me than me. I just don't think it's possible. Uh, that is a tendency that I have to be way too hard on myself. Um, and, and, and I'm not sure anybody could really, look, it's a difficult thing to think generously of another person sometimes, isn't it? You know, to, to be generous and magnanimous and all those things to somebody who really grates on your nerves or has, has really been, you know, uh, like the story of the kids. My my son, my son would tell his friends, um, he had one, this black friend, uh, do you play football with him? Uh, and he and, and he said, uh, he said, man, I want to come, his buddy, he said, I, I want to come live with white parents. They White parents got it easy. And then my son commenced to telling him, let me just tell you what my dad catches me on a regular. I never get away with anything. I have to do this. And he's like, never mind. I will stick with my black parents. No. That was Andre? Oh, Andre was the boy that was killed in my car crash. How about that? He was in the passenger seat. He was killed. Now, how about that? That's powerful. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah, Andre. I didn't remember who that was. Isn't that something? So uh, anyway, so the point of that is, is he said, well, no, I don't want to. Sometimes we just perceive things wrong, right? We perceive it wrong. We get it wrong. So but we have to be, all right, husbands and wives, people have been friends with somebody a long time. Sometimes you've got to have a lot of patience. Right? Amen? Darren says amen. Be a quiet ride home or it'll be a loud one, one or the other. One or the other. So trust me on this. I, I frequently think more meanly of myself, and I would bet most of you probably think more meanly uh, of yourself than anyone else does. I think, if you're being honest, there's a lot of people that are like that. And this occurred to me uh, last night. I didn't, I didn't have this realization before, oddly enough. Through the political, you know, and I'll say this, the political climate of, of today and the, the, the state of the world is in terrorism everywhere, running rampant, uh, uh, the liberal ideology running rampant and poisoning the, the, you know, the tree of liberty. It's just, it's terrible. It's just a terrible thing. And ISIS all around us killing us and we're inviting them and all these different things going on. Um, it's just a bad deal. And right now, uh, in this political climate of this time, and all the enemies we face within our own borders. It's just a tumultuous, troubling time. But, but, but it occurred to me, this is also a grand time to be alive. This is a grand time 
to be here and present in this time because you know what? There are many grand men and wonderful, amazing, gracious women um, that are also inhabiting this time with us. And this occurred to me. This occurred to me. Uh, most of all, it's because Christ is in this time. Christ is in this time. He's working in all kinds of things. Yeshua is involved. Yeshua is committed. That's really, this is a real realization that just jumped into my head. Christ is in our time. And you know what? The other thing that makes it a great thing is that he told us he would never leave us nor forsake us. Isn't that something? He would never leave us nor forsake us. What a grand time to be alive, to know that we'll never be left and we'll never be forsaken. Now, John the Baptist, or Yochanan, he felt insignificant as compared to Christ. He, he was very clear on that. But the more he truly saw Christ, the braver he was to do his part. And, and let's face it, he was committed and not just involved. John the Baptist, and some people, I've, I, I learned this, and, uh, and I was surprised to learn this, but some people have never heard this story before about the, uh, committed and involved. You know, uh, look, the chicken was involved in breakfast, but the pig was committed, right? Chicken was involved, but the pig was committed in breakfast. There's a big difference there. It's a chasm of difference, you know. One is still alive, pumping those eggs out, and the other one, really, the sacrifice is not that much. The other one gave his life, or her life, and a witch, if he eat bacon. John the Baptist was committed. He was committed, man. And and because he knew Christ, and Christ loved him, and he knew what Christ thought of him, he was able to think better, although humbly, better of his mission and his ability to carry out that mission. You know how many times has somebody told you, a boss or something, someone superior to you in your place of employment or your organization, whatever it is you do, I need you to do this. And you're like, whoa, that's way above what I know how to do. That's way above my capabilities. You know, I, I, uh, I've obviously been involved in, in uh, gun training at a very high level for many, many years. And I've trained many, many people. Um, and a lot of times I will ask them to do something that I know is stretching them. I know is really, really stretching them. And I, I notice that they're concerned, they're afraid, but I would never ask them that if I didn't really know that they could do it. Not that they could do it easily, but that they could do it. And that trust as expressed in, look, I know you can do this. I know that you can. I wouldn't ask something of you that I didn't absolutely know that you could do. I believe in you. Man, everybody wants to hear those words, don't they? Right? Who's the first person that we want to hear those words from? We want to hear them from our mother and our father. And there's a lot of people listening now all, all around the country. They didn't get that. Maybe the person that thought that clicking on like on a profile picture or, or whatever on the same person a lot, maybe maybe they didn't get that. Maybe their childhood wasn't filled with a lot of love and a lot of encouragement. Hey, I, I'm going to put you in charge of this because I know you can do it. You're really smart. You're really capable. Maybe people listening here, you know, in the live audience, maybe that's how you grew up. It's okay. You know, I, I can tell you that when I was in the Navy, I was in the Navy calling home for a very particular reason uh, about what I was about to do, and I had an opportunity to call home, and I called home. And I still remember this day calling and saying, I love you, Dad. My whole childhood, all the way up until I left for the Navy, up to that point, he had never said, I love you, ever. 
And that was the longest, about 30 seconds in my whole life. Seemed like it was about 30 seconds. He said, I love you too. I will remember that for the rest of my life. I will never. That's Look, man, we want our parents. We want that encouragement from our parents. We want our parents to say, great job on that. Boy, you really. And even if in our failure, if we fail at something, man, I love how you got after it. I love how you tried so hard. I love, you know, you played that soccer game. And you know what? You really, uh, you hustled. Man, they were. I'm sorry to tell you, that team was a better team than you. Really, their skills were higher. But I love how you hustled. Man, everybody wants to hear that, right? You want to hear something good from mom and dad first. That's the first thing. And then who else? Siblings. Right? We want to hear it from our siblings. We want our siblings to think well of us, to encourage us. And there are a lot of people, as I look around here, and that I know from people that are listening all around the world, that you might not have had that. You might not have had that. And that's a tough realization. This is what I realized about myself. Most often, I feel like a tiny and insignificant voice in the wilderness. Me. Who am I? Dr. Schoengren. It's a big deal. You know? It's funny when uh, I bump into people that I've never met that follow me on whatever I do or heard me speak or bought the book or whatever, listen to my radio show, and they're, oh, would you autograph my book? And then, first of all, I'm always surprised if they have my book. And then the second thing is, well, why do you want me to write it? You know, it's going to make it worth half the price as soon as I sign it. And uh, they always think that, and they're always excited to meet me. And I'm always excited to meet them, but I'm, I'm humbled by it. I really am. And I think of myself as, as especially when things, they're not return, they're 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 returning void. They're, it doesn't seem like any goods coming of all the all the effort and the expense and all that stuff. But in those times of darkness, I, I realized last night I can lean on those great unseen heavenly forces which are moving the earth today, keeping the planets in alignment, keeping the stars in their place. Those clouds that I put on Facebook, those pictures, he he knows where everyone is, and he's made them, each and every one, awesome and beautiful and amazing. He's moving the earth, and, and my voice will one day have a part. It's funny, and I, I say this for a reason, but my voice will one day have a part in the great chorus heard in heaven, singing that the kingdoms have become the Lord's for all eternity. The reason why I thought of that is because of this. The other day, I was going to post, I was actually going to sing, Farther along, farther along, we'll know more about it. Right, that song, it's probably modern. Millennials are probably thinking, holy crap, what's that guy singing? I've never even heard that song. Right, it's a hymn. It's an old, old hymn, very old. But for whatever reason, I was thinking to myself, I think I'm going to get on that Facebook Live and just sing that little tune and try to say, hey, be encouraged today. Don't let yourself be sad. Things are tough now, but they're not always going to be tough because God is ultimately the judge, and he is a just judge, and he's going to write everything. He's going to make it okay. And one day we will be made perfect in the presence of the Father. All hurts, habits, and hang-ups will be healed. All shrapnel will disappear, the emotional and painful shrapnel of, of a lifetime of disappointment will be healed in an instant upon seeing his face. Man, that is eternity. That is eternity. That really struck out to me. And I said, man, I want to sing that song farther along. No matter how bad or good I did, I just want to do it. And as I'm looking on, I open up my computer, and what's there, and many of you may have clicked on, like, were, were these three ladies just in a little room singing a cappella farther along. Let me tell you, I watched and listened to that. Tears streamed down my face, because I remember singing that with my mom. 
my dear 87-year-old mom, God bless her, uh, I remember singing that song with my mom, and we would sing harmony. I would sing tenor. She'd sing alto. It was just a fun thing, just a neat thing we used to do together. And just such an amazing song. And, and then at the funerals of different people in my family, my mom's family, we would go over to the eastern shore of Maryland where most of them lived, and we would have these big funeral parties, you know, and it was wonderful, great food, and there was some crying, but there was a lot of laughter, there was some dancing, and then there was a whole lot of singing. And one of the songs they would sing at the funeral was Farther Along. And, you know, speaking of that, look, it's tough now, but it's going to be better. It's going to be the best it could ever be in eternity, and that's a long time. So I, I thought about that. And some believers and some unbelievers, they have this Ptolemaic notion of life. Their little earth is the center around which all other things move. You know anybody like that? They're, they're self-centered in their lives. And you know what? They might be self-centered because they had a terrible childhood. And nobody paid any attention to them. They were expected to do everything. They never got a thank you. They never got a love you. They never got a wow, you're awesome. I'm so glad you're my child. Never got that. And so that hurt changes how they hear everything, right? You know people. I, I look at self-centered people and I say, you know what? Hurting, self-centered people, hurting people hurt people. Did you catch that? Hurting people hurt people. Sometimes the people that are hurting the most are the ones that reach out and hurt other people. And it's tragic. It's a shame. It's sad. And I try to think of that first. I try to I try to think of that. Man, this person is being this way, not because they think greatly of themselves. Now, there are some cases that they do, and they don't deserve to think greatly of themselves. But most of the time, I found it's because that hurting person, that self-centered person that is, uh, you know, just they, this Ptolemaic view of I'm the center of the universe and everything else revolves around me. You guys know people like that. They want everybody else's life to revolve around their orbit. But you know what causes that really fear? For somebody to live like that and be like that, that's a fearful person and, and a hurt person, a sad person. And if I've been that sort of self-centered mess, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this, and some of you listening from wherever, growing up with me, whatever, if I've been that, I hope that I haven't been that, but sometimes I know that I have. Um, and you, you always think the benefit of age, right? The benefit of age, you always think, well, as I get older, I get wiser. Don't you? You know, you get a little older and you think, well, I learned my lesson a little bit. I learned a little bit more about myself, a little learn, learn a little bit more about life, all those different things. And you hope that you've outgrown your proclivities. And I think to myself, maybe it's time for me to reconstruct my life according to the Copernican theory. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. But the Copern it's called Copernican heliocentrism, and it's the name given to the astronomical model developed by Nicholas Copernicus, and it was published in 1543. And what it did was something radically different. It positioned the sun near the center of the universe, motionless with Earth and all the other planets rotating around it in circular paths, modified by epicycles and at uniform speeds. In other words, how it actually is. That's where it happened. That's where we figured that out, right? It wasn't that the Earth revolved around us. It's that, the, you know, the world, the galaxy, no, it's the other way around. It was the sun is here and everything revolves around it. I wonder how, how would our life be different if our life revolved around God? relating to and communicating with God, communing with him and, and having him truly be a part of our life. I wonder how it would be. I wonder how it would be. And John, you know, admitting that uh, ours is only a little earth in the greater universe, it's sometimes it's really hard to see that, right? Sometimes it's super hard to see that, and it's a very difficult thing. To find our true 
solar center. Because understand, that's God. That's the great moral gravitation, the gravitational pull. What if we change the gravitational pull from what others think of us and even what we think of ourselves and to think, what does God think of me in his divine love? What am I for the future? The future of John the Baptist, when he was asked this question, was, look, his future was short, y'all. His future was real short. It was only a few months. Little did we know, not long after that, and, and Yeshua, Jesus, you know, we look at his career, his ministerial career, was considerably longer. It was three years. It was only three years. And it occurred to me all of life is short and precious in and of itself. Well, that's something we say real quickly, right? In the, in, in the land of plan, Planned Parenthood, in the land of the state of Delaware now, you can abort a child all the way up to and including the due date. How amazing. How amazing. Life must not mean much to us, you know. We've got the London mayor saying, hey, in every big city you're going to have terrorism. Eh, what are you going to do? Oh, by the way, he's a Muslim. And oh, by the way, it's the Muslims doing all the terror. But my point is this, is is it's on. We'll have a couple days of coverage. What happens? It all dies down. We start talking about stupid stuff again. Collusion and all these stupid things that are proven to be a lie. But that's what happens. It dominates instead of the truth, you know. Life is just not as important anymore to us. This is, I think, an interesting saying. It has been said, we do not complain that the night is short if we are looking for the dawn, nor that the winter is short if we are eager for the spring. Let me say that again. We do not complain that the night is short if we are looking for the dawn, nor that winter is short if we are eager for the spring. You ever be a kid and anticipating something, a big deal, like in your life, your family, something you always loved. For me, it was always Thanksgiving. Christmas, it was an awkward time for me. I wasn't as good at getting gifts as I was giving them. Um, I'm much less comfortable with the getting part. But Thanksgiving, y'all, I love me some Thanksgiving. You would think it was all the great food, and it was. A lot of that was the great food, I'm not going to lie. But let me tell you, the biggest thing was because my family was all coming back. My big brothers and my big sister and her husband and, you know, all these, the, the cousins and all, boom, they were coming. They were coming to visit and sit and go out back and shoot guns and, you know, talk and, and listen and all this. It was just fun, man. It was fun. I loved it. And it took forever for Thanksgiving to come. Some people, like it's like that with their birthday. Oh, man, hurry up. Till if it's a woman, you know, and it's getting to be, you know, third or fourth decade, she's like, mm, I could just take your time, slow down, not in a hurry, right? But, but you know, if we're, if we're looking forward to daylight, if the night goes by quickly, we don't complain about that. Same way with if we're looking forward to summer or spring, we're not complaining that, it, wow, it was a really quick winter. We're thanking God. It was a wonderful thing. And I say that to say this, joy is not the sustainer of the forlorn or lamenting soul. Some people, you know, Christ is. I, I mentioned about that I was going to sing this farther along, and these three, it popped up literally the first thing, first thing. And then, so I got the opportunity to watch it and take it in and think to myself, this is true joy, you know. Originally, I was just going to sing it real quick and not be all serious about it. Just say, I look, you ever hear this song? You ever think about what it's uh, and then, but the, and then I was thinking I'm going to minister to other people, but you know what? When I opened up my computer and the, they were on there, I was like, "How about that? Isn't that a quinky dink?" 
I clicked on it, and I was so blessed by it. I didn't realize I was the one at that moment that really needed the blessing. I needed the blessing. And God provided that. Joy is not the sustainer of the forlorn soul. Christ is. That's a fact. We, we do ourselves wrong when we demand joy in the natural to sustain us for our time on earth while we await for all eternity in heaven, perfection with the Father. Christ sustains us better than fleeting moments of natural joy in the natural. It just doesn't compare. And you know what I thought about this too? A short life is long enough to take the right direction, and direction is the main fact about our life. Man, I watched this thing with my son. My son and I had bachelor time this weekend. Uh, and and so it was me and him just hanging out, watching movies and whatnot. We had so much fun. It was a lot, a lot of fun. Um, it was a lot of fun, let me just tell you. We had a blast. These are great kids. A lot of fun. And my daughter actually came over one night and hung out for hours, and they were cutting up, and it was cracking me up, and just so much fun. Really, it was. It's a wonderful thing. And um, I thought about how lucky I am to have these kids. Man, I love these kids so much. I think about other people who have such trouble with their children, you know, and I hear these complaints, and or, or maybe some that, uh, one in particular I'm thinking that I know that's listening. God bless her. I pray for you literally every day by name. Lost her daughter at 23 years old to a, a heroin situation. And, and uh, boy, how devastating, you know. I thought to myself, Father, thank you. I, I've never had to deal with that. I pray to God, take me but one moment. That's all I need before my child. Don't make me do as my mother did. My 52-year-old brother died, and she had to bury her son. And I could see my mom, tough lady, strong, strong lady. That was hard on her. That was hard on her. For our children, we ask, how, how good are they coming out? How good are they turning out? I realized this. God asked that. How are my kids turning out down there? How are they making out? Let's see. We give them a Bible in any language. Really, I don't think there's any language the Bible has been translated in. We make it simple language. You know, it can be... You know, uh, what's that Bible? The message, you know, start with that, work your way up. He he asked that. How how are my kids? How are my kids working out? Man, what's so good for them? There's nothing more than we've ever brought out, a true answer as to what we are and who we are until we take our growth into account. What have we become? What have our kids become? What are they becoming? And you know what? God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us this searching question any more than Yochanan was left alone to answer. Look, there was an opinion about John the Baptist, and there's an opinion about us. What is your opinion of yourself? What do you think of yourself? You know, I would encourage you to think more about what God thinks of you. He loved you enough to give his only son. You know what? I don't know anybody that I would give my child for. Man, I sure love you. How about in order to help you live, I, I give you one of my, my children? No way. No way. I don't even know how to compare to that. Can't comprehend that kind of love. Isn't it something? Maybe we should start thinking more closely about what God thinks of us. God bless you. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow the show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week 
at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor and follow dr sean on twitter at the ninja pastor and on facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash god in country radio and check out all the free messages archive shows and buy dr sean's critically acclaimed book excellence killed the church how mediocrity is destroying america at www.drshawngreener.com join us during the week and in the meantime dr sean will be fighting for you and for this great country thank you for joining us in this fight <laughs>